play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, actor, author, and animal rights activist Alicia Silverstone, perhaps most famous for starring in one of my favorite teen movies of the 90s, Clueless. Ugh, as if! But there's something else that Alicia Silverstone became known for in recent years. In 2012, she posted a video where she is baby birding her young son. Excuse me? Yes? May I ask a question? Yes, yeah, I call on you. Is it what I think it is, baby birding? I don't know. What do you think it is? It sounds like she's chewing up food and spitting it into baby's mouth. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. And this video caused millions of Americans to simultaneously judge her and throw up in their own mouths, which is even grosser than baby birding, in my opinion. This is officially called pre-mastication, and we're going to learn all about the cultural and historical implications of pre-mastication from Yale University biological anthropologist Melanie Martin. So I will, I will be totally upfront. Um, I actually did it with my own kids. And you'll meet Yosef Fakori, owner and cheesemaker at Vramage in West Hollywood, a vegan cheese shop that Alicia Silverstone is obsessed with. Her son, Bear, is incredible. Such a cutie and a smart I wash his hand, he helped me sometimes make his sandwich. (laughs) But first, Alicia Silverstone. I was really, really excited for the opportunity to interview Alicia Silverstone. I'm pretty sure that my first exposure to her uh, was the Aerosmith videos that she starred in, crying, crazy, and amazing. And uh, I actually purchased all three of these songs in the form of a cassette single. I don't know why I didn't buy the whole album. I remember (laughs) going three separate times to Sam Goody in the mall to buy Crazy and then Crying and Amazing. And I swear to God, these are still three of my favorite MTV music videos of all time. They're so good. I just watched them yesterday. Uh, But Alicia Silverstone's publicist was offering up a 10-minute interview with her, and they only offered interviews on a single day. And this day happened to be when I was in Anaheim with you, Aaron Mason. We were at the Podcast Movement Conference. So the only way I could do the interview was to record it on my phone on this app in my hotel room. I couldn't do it in a studio. This did not go well. Oh, no. The only thing that was good was that I I chose to do the interview in my underwear just because I could. Yeah, like, that's she fun. Won't, she won't know if I'm wearing pants. But um, unfortunately, it sounds like crap. So please bear with us and know that I am just as horrified as you are by the audio quality of this interview, but I couldn't trash it. You can't just throw away an interview with America's most famous baby birder. So please listen for you, listen for America, and listen for Cher Horowitz. Whatever. Alicia Silverstone has been a vegan since 1998, and she's the author of three books, including the vegan cookbook, The Kind Diet. What was the decision to go vegan and to become a health and environmental and animal activist? Well, I was an animal lover. I loved animals and I loved my dog. And I lived with my dog, kissed him, slept with him. And suddenly I realized that all creatures were like my dog, that pigs and cows, like why were they different? And when I would pet him, I started to feel like, wow, this is like, you know, the leg of another creature that I would be eating. And so when I made that connection, I 
all my health drastically changed. It was like the greatest karma ever. Suddenly I was feeling amazing. I had so much energy. My skin cleared up. All the cystic acne went away. My body got really slim and trim just from the food I was choosing. And my eyes turned really white. And I was like, what is happening? And then I did a bunch of research and found that this was actually a healthier way to live. And it became the foundation for my life. Like, I feel so much better eating this way. And it makes me a better mommy. It makes me able to be focused and balanced with my son. Alicia says she loves eating healthfully. But one of the only non-vegan foods that tempts her is cheese. It's usually like if you had a glass of wine and you're really tired and you're somewhere out of it. Like, it's not at home. It would never, ever be at home because I love the way I eat. But, you know, if you're in France, drinking wine, you're really jet-lagged and tired, and there's a plate of cheese going by, you're like, wait a second, and you haven't eaten in a long time, that can be tempting. Um, But the good news is there's these great, amazing um, vegan versions. Like, I don't really ever crave, I never crave cheese unless it's just in front of you. You know what I mean? It's In my daily life, that's not the kind of stuff I crave. I, I crave healthy food that makes me feel great, and then I'm tempted and seduced by things that come in front of me. What would you choose for your last meal? If you could have any. Oh, goodness. That's far too difficult. I mean, how on earth do you decide that? I know. I'm a hard-hitting <laughs> journalist. I ask the hard questions. There's so many amazing things to eat. That's just too hard for me. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say it was your birthday tomorrow. If you could choose anything, what would you want to have for your birthday meal? For my birthday meal. Okay, let's start there. Um, I would want, well, I'd probably be trying to impress everyone with my delicious vegan treats. So I would want to have fromage cheese, and I would want to have possibly either the seitan piccata from Candle Cafe in New York, the um, delicious malaise or parmesan from Crossroads in L.A., but all the recipes from the Kind Diet, I have this leek mushroom pesto crostinis that are amazing, and a radicchio truffle pizza. And um, hmm. how are you going to eat all this? You're going to be like in LA and New York and eating like a 17. I know, right? When you asked me what I was wanted for my birthday, I'm just telling you. I know. (laughs) Like I don't know how to get it. Then I'd have to be realistic (laughs) and actually figure out how to do it. But I would just make stuff from the garden if I was going to make a yummy meal. What was the first thing you said? You said something about a fromage cheese, some kind oh, of. Oh, fromage! Fromage is this guy in LA, but you can get it online. He'll he'll send it to you anywhere. But he makes this amazing cheese. It's so good. Alicia is talking about fromage. V R O M A G E. It's a cheese shop in the Hollywood Hills. It's a vegan cheese shop owned by gourmet chef turned cheesemonger Yosef Fakori. I was raised in Casablanca and France. My parents, they're Lebanese, and I've been in this country for over 40 years. Yosef's soft cheeses start with house-made nut milks that he ferments. And he says that he cooks like a grandma, without any recipes, so every batch of cheese is a little different. Really? That's cool. Yeah. The cheese looks so amazing. It looks super artisan. Uh-huh. And it looks like when you go to a fancy cheese shop. Because when you just go to the grocery store, these vegan cheeses look like plastic. Yeah, gross. You know, and they're usually orange. And this is like, they look like those delicious like goat cheese rounds that have been rolled in herbs. It looks amazing. Well, I make about uh, 17 different cheeses. I make a ricotta, a brie, camembert, gorgonzola. I call it veganzola. I make goat with chives, goat's cranberry, feta, feta basil, feta herb, 
And now the latest one, which is, is a hit, is the Taleggio. And the Taleggio has been like flying, it's crazy. And then I make um, Picorino, and I make a soft manchego. Nothing is processed, it's all made in-house, and I use the practically almost all organic. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised because most of my customers, they're not vegan. So it is vegan cheese, but I cater more to non-vegan people because it's all about taste. If something tastes good, everybody will eat it. People actually come from around the world to his shop to try his cheese because it's so unique. Uh, but he says Alicia Silverstone is one of his best customers. Alicia Silverstone, bless her heart, she's so loved by the, the, the everybody. I mean, I've got a lot of people coming and they say, Alicia Silverstone told us to come about to your shop. Her son, Bear, is incredible, such a cutie and a smart. He should be a, a quality control. He knows most of my cheeses. His favorite is the brie. He comes, he's six years years old. So I show him, I wash his hand. He helped me sometimes make his sandwich. <laughs> what is Alicia Silverstone's favorite cheese slash favorite thing that you make in the shop? Because you also do sandwiches and pizzas and things, right? Yes, I make a mozzarella caprese. She's crazy about that. Mm-hmm. And the brie with truffle for her and for her son. Christopher, her husband, loves the manchego. He calls it... The Spanish cheese. <laughs> it's funny. He sent, he goes, I want the Spanish cheese. I say, it's manchego. And the ricotta. She loves the ricotta. Are you vegan? Why did you decide to open a vegan cheese shop? Well, that's an interesting story. Actually, I met a beautiful young girl like you, and I wanted to be with her. And she was a vegan chef, you know. And she said, if you want to hang out with me, you have to stop eating, uh, you know, cooking uh, with animal product. And um, and just me, I wanted to be with her, so I kind of like uh, compromised. So I started cooking with her until one day she put cashew in the blender. That was in 2009. And I never seen cashew in the blender. And I asked her, what are you making? And she says, I'm making a vegan cheese with nutritional yeast. I never heard of such thing. And she gave me a taste. I didn't like it. It didn't taste anything like cheese. So I said, I, I'll show you how. So I wanted to impress her. So I took it from her and I manipulated a little bit. And it came out tasty. And she goes, how did you do that? And I said, it's a secret. So, so I took it from there. So I went home and I started practicing. I saw she was so impressed. I thought if I impress her more, I have a chance for romance. <laughs> you yeah. must have really loved this chick that you gave up cheese and meat and all of that for her. I, yes, I was, but I was in denial at the same time because we had this cooking situation between us. Every time I make cheese, she comes over, she brings a bottle of wine. We sit down, we eat. And I'm hoping for romance, and there were nothing like that's happening. And that's kept on going for a while until I discovered she was confused about uh, whether she wanted to be with a man or a woman. And I didn't know that till about six, seven months later. He thought maybe if I make the cheese even better, maybe I have a chance. Maybe I, maybe she'll fall in love with me. So I start making like a blue cheese, gorgonzola, camembert. And things didn't happen between us, so I was a little bit bombed. So I locked myself in the kitchen for five years, trial and error, trying to perfect what I made for her to impress her. And I decided to open a shop in 2014. 
when I opened the shop. I'm glad you didn't name it after her. She was clearly using you for your vegan cheese. She was my muse. Actually, she, no, we are best friends. We uh, are, she's an amazing woman. She's, an, she's great. She's a wonderful lady. Oh, good. So I know you don't want to, you know, give away your secrets, but can you talk a little bit more about the process and what goes in? Because, you know, you're trying to replicate these flavors like pecorino is so nutty and so sharp. And then, you know, have something like feta that is so salty and crumbly and people know these tastes and they know these textures. How do you replicate them? Let's make this more clear. I am not making cheese, honestly. It's the people. It's everybody wants to call it cheese. It is not cheese. It's a new food. It's alternative. It's replacement for people who actually have issues with dairy. So it is not cheese, and, and legally we cannot call it cheese. Okay, this is a nut cheese, but I tried to make it tasty, nutty, little maybe on a tangy. To, to answer your question, I'm not trying to duplicate, let's say, the brie as the brie or the camembert or the pecorino. I am trying to make a reference. I want to try this cheese so badly. I can't imagine what it tastes like. I'm just so curious. So if anybody wants to go in on a big box of Ramaz cheese, he does ship. We could have a Ooh. Seattle vegan cheese party. When we come back, a biological anthropologist from Yale breaks down baby birding and a hot behind-the-scenes scoop. Alicia Silverstone says the 1995 cult classic Clueless almost didn't become a film because studios didn't want it. See you in a minute. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbow, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P. Or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. In 2012, Alicia Silverstone posted a video on her blog of her and her one-year-old son sitting on the couch sharing a meal. In the video, she spoons something from a blue bowl into her mouth, she chews the food, and then she transfers the food directly from her mouth into his. When she turns back to the camera from her son's face, she has a huge Cheshire grin. Cheshire? Is that you say it? Yeah, Cheshire. Cheshire, okay. Like the cat. So around the time that this video came out, Alicia Silverstone was doing Broadway work. She was doing theater work, smaller independent films. But this short, wordless video launched her back into the spotlight and catapulted the phrase baby birding into the American pop culture lexicon. The entertainment media went wild over this video, and there was a storm of criticism, ranging from simple disgust to health concerns over the transfer of germs between mother and child. So I started looking around trying to find, I don't know, some cultural history of baby birding. And my research led me to Melanie Martin, 
a postdoctoral associate at Yale University in the field of biological anthropology. Melanie spent quite a bit of time in the Bolivian Amazon studying the Chumayan people, who, like many cultures, and actually some cultures here in the U.S., still pre-masticate or pre-chew food for their children. We don't know for certain the evolutionary history of pre-mastication, but it has been posited that this would have been how most infants were fed throughout most of human evolution because there's really nothing else to do with food until you get tool use and things like that that would have allowed us to really make cereal purees. So really until like you get agriculture, um, probably most foods were pre-masticated to some extent. Um, other reasons that we think that that is the case is that there is still widespread pre-mastication when you look around the world at different cultures. So when you see a certain behavior manifest in a lot of different cultures that have nothing to do with one another, that would suggest that it's something that is very deeply ingrained in our evolutionary history. Um, we can also look at other primates, especially those closely related to us, like the chimpanzees and gorillas and bonobos. What some primate species will do is called passive sharing, where they're just eating a bunch of food and it's all falling out of their mouths. And then the infants will reach up and juveniles will reach up and they'll start grabbing it and eating it. So you can kind of see that as maybe a precursor to a behavior where you're intentionally chewing some food and then giving it to an infant. So the big question that we all need to know because of all the criticism that was pushed on Alicia Silverstone is, is there anything wrong with baby birding? Is there any reason scientifically health-wise that you should not pre-masticate food for your child? The pros and cons for it. I'll start with the pros. So we all have a lot of bacteria in our mouth, and most of that is not pathogenic. Um, there's definitely this, you know, this fear of germs that I don't think is particularly healthy because we are exposed to a lot of benign bacteria all the time. And if anything, there we've kind of swung too far in the direction of limiting our exposure to harmless environmental bacteria, and that might be a cause in the high incidence of allergies and, and asthma and certain chronic diseases. But uh, anyway, so there is an idea that as you are feeding your kids this pre-masticated food, you're actually exposing them to these beneficial bacteria that also has um, secretory IgA, which is an antibody that can kill harmful bacteria. It has these other things like salivary amylase that helps break down starches. Now, at the same time, there are certain bacteria that are, we wouldn't say that they cause cavities or that they cause periodontal disease, but we see that, you know, they, they tend to be associated with those diseases, um, as well as certain viruses, particularly HIV. So there is the risk that if you harbor those more pathogenic bacteria or those viruses that you could pass uh, them along to your babies. So where I would come down is that if you know that you're HIV positive or um, if you have really, really poor oral health, Maybe it's not a practice that you would want to engage in, although we don't even really have good studies that have looked and shown how they can be transmitted and colonize and infect a baby via premastication. But maybe if you know that you are in that situation, you wouldn't want to 
do that. But otherwise, I would think that the benefits outweigh the risks. So there is a difference between the way Alicia Silverstone was pre-masticating and the way that the Chumayas pre-masticate. Melanie says the Bolivians don't do that mouth-to-mouth, quote, kiss-feeding like Alicia did. What they would do is put some food in their mouth to break it down, moisten the food a little bit. They actually do this also to check the temperature of the food to make sure it's not too hot, to make sure there's no little bones or little pieces of gristle that the baby could choke on. And then they spit it back into their hand or into a spoon and feed it to the baby that way. So what do you think just about people's strong, disgusted reaction to feeding your child this way? I don't understand it. I don't think it's a very culturally or biologically informed reaction. I I mean, I personally am against the use of the word germs because germs don't, there's no such thing as germs. There's, there's bacteria, there's viruses. Most of them are totally benign. And um, they're, I understand them because they're rooted in how we grew up thinking that all dirt was bad and all, you know, bodily fluids are bad and everything. Um, but it's just not actually the, the reality in which our bodies evolved in and which our health also, um, really is most optimal. Um, so I would just encourage people to try (laughs) to like get over that. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I suggest you use this break to baby bird, the person sitting next to you. More with Alicia Silverstone in just a minute. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. We're back. Once a movie is cemented into the zeitgeist of pop culture, It's hard to imagine that it couldn't exist. But Alicia Silverstone said that Clueless almost didn't happen. I am proud to say I still own Clueless on VHS, and I still have a VCR, so I watch it on VHS sometimes. Uh, But I just heard you in an interview saying that the film almost didn't happen because the first studio decided that they didn't want to do the movie. Can you talk about why? I just know that I was going to do this film with Fox, and then I got a call that we weren't doing the film. And at that time, I was shooting a film in France with Alan Corneau and James Gondolfini. And um, Amy Heckerling said, you know, she sent me a fax, which, you know, we don't do that anymore. I got a fax saying, like, into my hotel in Paris saying, you know, I hope we get to make it again. Like, I'm, she was just sort of explaining what had happened and, and that we were on hold. The reason that they didn't want to make a movie at the time was the films about young people were not happening at all. And so it was like, who wants to watch a movie about this young girl? I did. I wanted to watch it. 
Clueless is such a quotable movie that, I mean, there's so many lines that, you know, 20 years later people are still saying. Have any of them worked their way into your daily life? Like, do you ever quote a line from Clueless or say any of your iconic lines, just like when you're joking around with your husband or whatever? Never did until recently. It's really funny. Like, suddenly, oops, my bad has been coming up. Oops, my bad. And then sometimes, um, I think whatever will come up. Whatever. Oh, you know what I always want to say in my head? I always want to say, um, I mean, look how picky. Because, you know, she says, look how picky I am about my shoes shoes and they only go on my feet. feet. That kind of is in my head a lot, that line, because I say things like about how picky I am about, I don't know what, probably food. I'm sure it's a food-related thing. But I always sort of formulate that one comes up a lot. I feel like such a heifer. I had two bowls of special K, three pieces of turkey bacon, a handful of popcorn, five peanut butter M&Ms, and like three pieces of licorice. <gasps> oh, my God. And that was Alicia Silverstone's last meal. Alicia Silverstone stars in the upcoming TV series American Woman on TV Land. And you can find all of her books and her new line of organic vitamins on her blog, thekindlife.com. Thanks to Yosef Akori, owner of Ramage. You can order his vegan cheese and have it sent to you in the mail. Cheese in the mail, which is so fun. Nothing fun ever comes in the mail. So if there was like a piece of cheese on top of your bills, woohoo! Go to vramage.com. And thanks to Melanie Martin, postdoctoral associate at Yale University in the field of biological anthropology. She sounds smart. Real smarter smart. than me. Smarter than me. Um, our theme music is by Prom Queen, also a smart person. This episode was produced by Aaron Mason and me. Total idiots. Total idiots. But uh, give us a chance. What? <laughs> <laughs> but these idiots need to make a living. So please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. Oh, and coming up next episode, kind of a surprising guest. Someone I never thought I would feature Tom Likas, a controversial radio host who uh, often says very controversial things about women. So I'm going to ask him some hard questions, including why do you talk about women in this way? But also I am charmed by him. It's going to be a little feminist episode. So uh, tune in in a couple of weeks for that. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. 